Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back. And today is an episode that is many years in the making. Many, many years in the making, Cody. Two years ago, over the summer, on one of my many summer projects that never sees the light of day, I got, uh, as you would like to say, lost in the sauce. I, I was playing with my toolkit for a little bit too long in the sandbox, trying to model outside shooting before we had outside shooting data. I was trying to figure out who the best outside shooters were beyond just three-point percentages because in the 80s, they didn't even take that many threes. So a lot of the best outside shooters in the 80s, especially the early and mid-80s, uh, we didn't even have much three-point data for. So I had this idea of like, you know, I really want to look at guys outside 15 feet, long twos. We don't have play-by-play data. For those who don't know, play-by-play data is available since 1997. And it does stuff like log every shot. So the scorekeeper at the arena says, you know, LeBron James, 16-foot jumper missed. Uh, LeBron James, 20, when you see like these long threes, 26-foot three-pointer made. That's just the scorekeeper estimating the distance and they do a pretty good job. So we have like, you know, over 25 years of that data, but I was trying to figure out how can we go back even, even more than those 25 years. And so today, the culmination of that, there's been a lot of discussion about this recently. We are going to rank the top 74 shooter. No, we don't have 74, do we? We have a lot. We're going to talk about the best shooters in NBA history. And of course, before we do that, because this is not a common discussion, it's one that's thrown around casually. But as you know, you've looked around the internet, this is not a common discussion that's been given rigor or detail before. So we have to first figure out what the heck do we mean by the best outside shooters in NBA history? I was a little frustrated by this. Before, I wanted to ground myself and like, all right, let's see some other ideas that were bandied about out there. So I was, I was you know, sleuthing around the internet i was finding some some, some web sleuthing some web yeah. sleuthing finding message boards seeing what people put because trust me if you if you google like top 10 shooters of all time and then type in a website's name that has a lot of these kinds of discussions you find a lot there's a lot of them but they're all just people like shouting lists at each other it's like here's the top 10 i don't know how you don't think this but there's never like here's why i have these people ahead of those, these other people there's no discussion about criteria and so that's what that's what interested me i'm like all right so i think we need to lay the groundwork first before we dive into the actual discussion yeah so the easy part here is that I really want to only talk about peak shooting and, and you know and not peak shooting from like a game or a hot stretch as we talk about a lot on this show shooting in basketball especially outside shooting has a lot of variability when you only make a shot you know 35 45 50% of the time you can go through stretches where you look like a 40% shooter and you can go through stretches where you look like a 60% shooter so because of that I'm really interested in like a multi-year kind of this was this guy at his very best. There is no ambiguity about it. He's clearly this good as a shooter at his best. So that that's kind of the easy part, right? The hard part, <laughs> it gets really hard after that, is what do we really mean by best shooter? Um I'm thinking about this as the skill of shooting. That's where I started. Like the person who is the best at shooting the basketball versus pure value on the court. So Bruce 
Bruce Bowen is the example to me because Bruce Bowen was not a great shooter, but he was a very good corner three-point spot-up shooter. He practiced that shot. It's 22 feet instead of 24 feet, and he made it with a high frequency, but he was never a good free-throw shooter, and he was never a good shooter in other places, either off the dribble or in catch-and-shoot, in movement, things like that. So he might have had a lot of value just from his three-point shooting, just from the outside shots that he happened to take in a game. But in this case, I really want to focus, I think the spirit of the question is more about the skill of shooting. And so the skill of shooting to me has a couple big components, Cody. And feel free to jump in at any time and pepper me and throw some salt in as well with with questions and comments. So the first part is distance. This is a non-linear thing. Like the farther away you are from the basket, the harder it is to shoot. So... I'm not really that interested in guys that shoot from 8 or 12 feet. Bless their heart, amazing touch, floater range in the modern game. But I'm really thinking of 15 feet or so and out. So the free throw line and out. And every couple feet you go farther away from the basket, the more weight I kind of give you. So it's like, yeah, you can be a great 15-foot mid-range guy, but if you can't even make threes very well... We're going to talk about some guys that that meet this criteria, I think, today. I can't really keep you... I can't really put you at the top of this list because the spirit of the game, you know, you need to be able to make it from like 20, 23, 24, 25 feet. So that's one part. Another part is the diversity of the shot. We just talked about Bowen with his spot-up threes in the corner. But I think when we think about like... What does it mean to be a highly skilled shooter of the basketball? You should be able to do it off movement. You should be able to do it off the dribble, spot up, catch and shoot, maybe going to your left, maybe going to your right. Those aren't all requirements, right? That's more getting into when we talk about someone's scoring bag and can they do it off balance and things like that. But that is another factor that I'm going to weigh. The more diverse you are in shooting situations, the more I would say you meet the quote-unquote skill of being a gifted shooter goes back to the Bowen thing. If you can just, or maybe a great free throw shooter, if you can just practice one shot in one place, that's good, but you're generally better at a skill the more generalizable and adaptable that skill is. So I think my thought with the diversity of shots, because I think this is going to come up for a couple of players here, is maybe there's a player that is really good at a particular shot and they're so good at it and they're even good at it being contested that they need less of a so-called bag so to speak to get other shots like what if you can just give it to somebody in a spot and they can just rise up and make it is do you do you value that equally to somebody that will need to like dance around step back make a tougher contested shot versus somebody that's just like all right i can just rise up here and your contest doesn't really matter to me No, I think not quite, because again, it goes back to value. If we were talking about extracting value, like Shaq getting the dunk, right? Like Shaq always being able to get the dunk is great when we talk about value, when we talk about impact. But here I want to, I want to focus because I think we're, we're going into territory that hasn't really been covered at that, this depth as far as I've seen. And what you said, you know, you're sleuthing, let, we were poking around and we couldn't really find anything. So I want to cover this sort of foundational skill set part. That's what I want to cover. So yes, it's good if you can make one shot and you're very tall and you can make it over and over again. But when I judge your shooting skill, I want you to be able to make the shot 
going one way, going the other way. Um, from from multi, I actually don't even care too much about like off balance and going to your left. I just if I need you to pull a shot and I whip it to you, I want you to be able to make that shot the way you get into it. I don't care too much about. But I want you to make it from over near the elbow, and I want you to make it by the slot, and I want you to make it by the coach's hash, and I want you to make it in the corner, and I want you to make it at the top of the key. That is sort of, to me, what it means to have a robust shooting skill set. Okay. That makes a lot that? Of Yeah. Is, are we, are, okay. I think that's a fair criteria, yeah. Have I left out any of the big... There's one more thing I want to get to, but have I left out anything so far that you want to cover? Um, I guess one thing... Is you know we spend all summer talking about the the championships of a replacement across an entire career of a player, and you talked about you want to focus on a peak. Are you gonna kind of consider players that played for a long time? Because like let's say that there's a player, pretend that there's a player that was in the NBA for three seasons, and in those three seasons they were one of the best shooters ever, if not the best shooter ever, and then they disappeared. That was it. That was the only three seasons that they played. Versus somebody, yeah, I'll just say his name. Steph Curry versus somebody like Steph Curry, where you could slice off multiple three-year peaks and all of them could be considered the best three-year shooting peak of all time. Do you, do you value that sort of career more where you can slice off multiple of these multi-year peaks? Or if someone just has an incredible one three-year peak explosion, is that going to vault them into this conversation? I think today we are just going to focus on the peak the one single peak. There's no bonus for longevity. Okay. If you've got different slices, pick your slice. Pick a pick a three or four year <laughs> slice. Now, now the one thing I will say is sometimes some data is too small sampled, and so you might want to say, hey, in this five year stretch, you might hear me say that about some players. I looked at 1992 to 1997. You might hear that. So I think if you have five years, six years, where you can sort of exemplify the player's peak over that stretch. That's fine. We can, there's no fixed number of years we need to look at or anything like that. But yes, I am just going to focus on sort of the actual singular peak that a player has versus longevity. And then the last thing, I just alluded to it, relative to your league matters in this conversation because of the shooting practices. When I said, Cody, when I said this pod was years in the making, what was it about three years ago? I did a, I did a video on the practice of outside shooting. Brooke Lopez was in this video, so you might remember it. The idea of players shifting in the old days from practicing long and mid-range twos to the role players practicing threes. And we have all these case studies over the last decade of players who were good mid-range shooters, good free throw shooters, and they're out there taking 16 and 18 footers, and then they have to slide back five feet over time and practice taking more and more threes. And so we have an understanding of what that does to your shooting. It means that when you go back and watch games from the 80s, there isn't a perfect one-to-one mapping you can do for each player to predict exactly what that player's three-point percentage would be. But it does mean that when you go back and watch an old game and you watch like Michael Cooper, I I don't know why Coop just came into my head, um, but you like watch Michael Cooper and maybe it's because you're all-time league I, see, I hear this a lot from all-time all-time draft people where they're like, Michael Cooper is not a very good three-point shooter. It's like, Michael Cooper today, all those shots and what he would he would be taking a ton of threes. And when you look at his shooting indicators on his long, long shots, his actual threes that he was able to take, and his free throw percentage, 
we should expect like so many role players that he would be a much better three-point shooter. So the relative to era part matters to me because the norms of your time and the practices of your time, to me, actually reflect how skilled you are as a shooter. And that's what we're trying to get to today. Do you want to... Do you want to save that for later? Do you want to talk about some of the statistical indicators that you use for pr uh, prior generations that you can show, even when there wasn't a proliferation of three-point shots, that a player was still a really good shooter? Boy, that I think we should do that right now. Okay. Because I I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on this, but circling back to where I started, the the model that I was trying to build at the end of the day was trying to sort of say how far ahead of the league you were on your long twos and your threes. This is not a straightforward thing to do, by the way, because you have to you have to also incorporate volume. And what does it mean to take five long outside jumpers in a game versus 15? What does it mean when Steph Curry takes 15 threes per 100 compared to guys in the 90s taking six threes per 100? It's kind of like that Iverson skill curve thing. The more you shoot, the harder we assume the shots are to generate and we expect your percentages to go down. So it's, this is not an easy thing to equate, but the general idea was taking the model, and I'll talk about that in a second in more detail, taking the model and trying to say, okay, whether I'm in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, how do guys look relative to the era as outside shooters on long twos and threes? And when I said it wasn't straightforward, think about this, Cody. What's the average percentage on three-point shots in the NBA today? Uh, like 35%? I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Let's, right. say it's 30, let's say it's 35%. Um, that average is only generated by the players that take threes, right? Clint Capella is not part of that average. Shaquille O'Neal was not part of that average. So what's happened is more and more players are taking threes. So you have the average three-point percentage around the league, and then you have something like the median if you pick out a midpoint player, how how well would he shoot an open three? And today, that number might be in the 30s. But in 1985, the league average for threes might have been like 31%, but that's only among the good shooters taking them. The median three-point percentage in 1985 might have been like 21% or something like that. So it is not trivial at all to figure this out. Just keep that in the back of your head, but it is important, I think, to sort of think about the generations that these shooters grew up in. And as we start talking about names in two seconds, uh, that will become apparent. Well, before we get there in two seconds, and I don't know if this is too granular, so stop me here, but when you look at the shooting data, like shooting data, I think granular shooting data only goes back to, what, 97, 98? So when, you're, when you talk about some of the long mid-range statistics, you can't just find that for like the 80s or 70s or 60s. So what how do you go about actually figuring that out for this kind of conversation? Okay, so here's the model. I'll give you the model in 30 seconds or less, and then we can move on. You can't do it before the three-point shot. You just don't have enough information. But once you get the three-point shot, you can start to look at factors like three-point shooting, free throw percentage, the position a player plays, his height, his offensive rebounding frequency, his foul draw frequency, the number of free throws he takes, you can actually estimate pretty well, it turns out, from 1980 to 1997, whether a guy shoots a lot of his shots at the basket, whether he shoots a lot of his shots from the outside, and then you can use things like the shooting indicators, like three-point percentage and free throw percentage, to infer 
whether he's actually making a lot of these outside shots or whether he's missing a lot of outside shots, still has a high field goal percentage. Therefore, he must be making a lot of shots at the basket. That is the essence of how the model works. It is surprisingly accurate and effective when you compare it to real data. It, it, it's sort of, you know, 1998, 2005, 2010, whatever. But to your point, we don't really know. It is just an estimate for some players, it's very accurate. For some players, it misses. So it helps to have gone back and seen the players play and kind of use a little like, okay, that, that sounds reasonable, plus or minus 2 or 3%. And of course, today, the plus or minus 2 or 3% could be the difference between, you know, being the 30th best shooter ever and the 10th best shooter ever. So we'll do our best. That's basically the, the short of it. Okay, I think that's really helpful because when we talk about some of these numbers, I don't want people thinking that we're drawing from this deep secret well of shooting data that we're just not, you know, releasing to anybody out there that is built on a model that's sort of estimating people's percentages. It's 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 a secret well. Okay. Yeah, it's just the mo- it's, <laughs> it's got it's got 10,000 player seasons, but you know, it's just it's just a model that estimates this stuff. And and that is only one component of it for me because I I do value free throw percentage because that's the equalizer across time. It's this, it's the same shot across time and then three point percentage we have of course going back to 1980. So, I think without further ado, what I want to do to start, because we want to hit a handful of names and a handful of concepts, and then we'll get to make our way through sort of the, the best shooters ever. I want to go back to what I said about the guys with the mid-range. Michael Jordan was the guy that came up to me. I think Jerry West in the 60s and early 70s fits this model as well. I mean, heck, Oscar Robertson is probably there. He was a heck of a shooter. A guy I think is underrated as a shooter in this regard, Kobe Bryant probably in this category. George Gervin from the early 80s, late 70s, ABA. These are guys to me, especially Jordan, that in the middle part of the court, like 14 to 20 feet, insanely good shooters, especially for functional basketball, like getting off the shot. Um, But even when they're open, you know, like you have a Jordan crossover and he loses his man and he pulls up for that like little 16 footer. I mean, peak Jordan, like, Cody, you just assumed that thing was going down. You know what I mean? Like, if, if we got mid-range shooting data from the early 90s, I don't know what my, my model says off the top of my head. But if you pulled that up, I do know uh, I have in front of me, he was very good relative to the estimated league. Um, and so it's like, if you told me he shot 50% on those shots, I would not be surprised at all. But as I said earlier, I think the way Jordan shoots, I think the way some of these guys shoot... I'm trusting them less at 20 feet. And by the time you get to the money ball at like 24 feet, which is actually more important to me, the farther away you are, they they fall off the cliff relative to the all-time best shooters we're going to talk about. So that was like the first category. And again, somebody like Jordan, like if we're talking about a competition, not a competition, but a, a game where you like pass it to Jordan, it's like, all right, we're expecting you to hit the spot up shot from from 24 feet away you're going to be less likely to trust that versus like a contested fadeaway from 18 feet, which was just more, it's like a differentiation between scoring ability against the defense and shooting in diverse ways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The next, the next sort of category I want to mention of great shooters that popped into my head was the Steve Novak category. And that category is really about Steve Novak. I'm sure you could put other players. Anthony Morrow. Yeah, I think Novak was a better shooter, though. I, I don't know. So so Steve Novak took 12 threes per 100 for most of his NBA career, 2008 to 2016. So he's a little ahead of his time, taking 12 threes per 100. Going back to Marquette, he was an amazing shooter, but not a great, like, everything else at basketball player at the NBA level. So he had a hard time getting on the court because of defense. He didn't move very well. He was a big guy, like 6'9 or 6'10 or something. But, man, think of, like, think of like a slower, taller, jumbo Duncan Robinson, who may have even been a better shooter, taking, like, 12 threes per 100. The man shot 43.5%, Cody, on 12 threes per 100 over a nine-year period uh, that's over a thousand attempts because he didn't play that much. And then my little note here for for Steve is only eighty eight percent as a free throw shooter because he didn't get to take too many free. He only took like a hundred something free throws, I think, in his NBA career. So if he had more free throws, it's possible the dude would have been like a ninety something free throw shooter. So the point is, there is a category out there to acknowledge that players who are specialists as shooters but couldn't sustain an NBA career may also be in this discussion if we knew more about them. But you kind of have to get over a certain hump and be able to play and stay out there as, as an offensive player. And so he doesn't quite have the, doesn't quite have the sample for me to, to qualify, and I'm sure there's other guys out there we could think of as well. I just remember watching games of Steve Novak when I was in college, and, and what we would talk about with my friends is like, count how many times he enters the three-point line. And it wasn't many. Like, this dude ran from three-point line to three-point line, and that was it. Yeah, he was uh, he was an amazing shooter. I just think we should we should acknowledge that other other players we should acknowledge if we're going to talk about greatest shooters ever. And like I said, like Steve Novak, one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen, but he's not going to get to the top of our list here. The players before 1980, it's very difficult. We didn't have the three point shot. If you go back to the 50s and 60s, you will occasionally see guys shooting from like 30 feet away. It was a thing. It's awesome to see. But there were just some great shooters of those early eras where we don't have the outside data. And Cody, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with them, except give them a kind of honorable mention here as well to say, like, this is its own category. I'm thinking of players like Bill Sharman. Bill Sharman, at the, in the late 50s, the man led the league in free throw percentage seven times. And in the late 50s, Cody, he shot 90% from the free throw line over like a six-year period in a row to end his career. In the late 50s. That That is a, I mean, you just watch the old Celtics games and you can see him shoot from the outside as well. So that is a sign of pretty ridiculous shooting. Dolph Shays as a stretch big, he had a, he had a set shot. He was an 88% free throw shooter and you can see him stroking it from deep. Uh, and then even someone like Jerry West, who for me probably falls more into that. I, I think West to me is like somewhere across between Jordan and like a Kevin Durant. Like, he has a little bit more range, but he's just one of these mid-range, crazy good, like, 
14 to 22 feet. He's an assassin. I don't know what's happening if I have to ask Jerry West to shoot a bunch from 26 feet, given the elevation and the release and the type of shot he had. So also someone who who came to mind, but uh, I don't know what to do with some of these old guys. Yeah, and I think Sam Jones is another name we tossed out there too. But when you go back and watch some of those games, like it's clear that someone like Bill Sharman would just in a different era, would definitely be in this conversation because it's jarring to see someone like that playing back then. And you're like, oh, wow, this is this is before we understood some of the concepts of like gravity and, and spacing out and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm I okay with putting them into this category and just acknowledging that, yeah, they would probably be in this conversation had they been in a different era. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do with them, but uh, we have to acknowledge them. The, the last sort of point we need to get to before we start naming the guys who I just think are the the best shooters I've ever seen. Uh, it goes in the other direction. There was a three year period, Cody, from 1995 to 1997, when the when the league brought us into the kids' tees, and we shot three pointers from 22 feet instead of 23 nine, and it definitely opened the three point shot up a little bit for people. Michael Jordan's a perfect example. He shot like 40 percent from that line, and then always low 30s uh, the rest of his career from the full line. Didn't take as many, and so. Sometimes when you pull up these lists and you and you do your Google Google sleuthing that you were doing and you're like, who are the greatest shooters ever? It will be heavily populated by guys who set records in that period. You know, um, I'm thinking of Glenn Rice. I'm who's a great. These are all great shooters, but they get a bump in the other direction because of their three point percentages from the short line. So Glenn Rice is one. Uh, Kenny Smith, maybe even a BJ Armstrong, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf never really had a great three-point shooting season outside of the short line. So guys like that, any anyone if you ever see them from that period that has crazy numbers from the from the mid '90s, the numbers are a little bit inflated. Just just keep that in mind. Yeah, that always comes up in all-time draft conversations because people will pick someone from that range and be like, well, see, Nick Anderson was a tremendous three-point shooter. It's like, well, let's let's look at some surrounding seasons and try and extrapolate some of that. So, yeah, that's, that's always a tough little window to try and uh, figure out when we're having this three-point conversation. That's not fair to Nick. He was never the same <laughs> after those four free throws <laughs> in the finals. Um, they, they Look, they were probably going to lose in five anyway, so not not a big deal. Okay. Cody, I, I was trying to make a list of 25 guys. Um, we won't we won't labor on these back ones too long versus discussing sort of the the concepts. But let me throw some more honorable mentions out there, uh, and then I'll give you the the 25th guy because he's really interesting to talk about. I think you got to mention an early guy downtown, Freddie Brown, 86% free throw shooter, over a thousand free throws, 37% career three-point shooter from the early 80s, thus the name downtown Freddie Brown. The thing is, he took three, 295 threes in his whole career. <laughs> that's, that's how little they shot threes back then. Um, other, other really good shooting names, Byron Scott from that era, Hersey Hawkins, Michael Red. We'll just do the whole Milwaukee box. Michael Red, Chris Middleton, Eddie House, a shooting specialist, Ben Gordon. I think Chauncey Billups, another one couple early guys Calvin Murphy Calvin Murphy was a uh, incredible free throw shooter 92% free throw shooter at his peak and my model thinks a really good long two shooter from the Rockets games that I've seen him play and I don't quite know where to place his outside shooting so he didn't he didn't make my list Chris Mullen another guy 
Cody, number 25, I'm going with Chris Paul. Chris Paul at 25. I feel yeah. I feel like a natural reaction or an instant reaction for a lot of people is that this is a little low. But I think I know where you're going with some of this because we've we've teased this conversation in the past. So um, why 25 for Chris Paul? Wow, I thought you were going to say hi because I feel like I don't see him on... I, I feel like he's an underrated shooter, right? Like I don't know if people realize his peak stretch of free throw percentage shooting is 90.1%. Right now, we've talked about how incredible he is in the mid-range. Uh, his, this is his actual mid-range numbers, 48% on long mid-range over a three-year peak, which is fantastic, but only, I say quote-unquote only, 39% from three on lesser volume from three. And the other thing about making this list is when you start naming guys like this, you realize like, oh my word, there are some incredibly ridiculous shooters. So just wait for it. 39% from three is actually a little low for this group. And thinking about sort of like diversity of shot making, I think we talked about it last year. I think he's great in those heat zones around the elbows and kind of inside the elbows. But I don't know if I just randomly throw him anywhere else on the court, if he's going to be better than some of the dudes. Some of the names ahead of him are just crazy good shooters. And that's the thing. I think when... Because when we talk about the mid-range game, he kind of falls into that same Michael Jordan sort of category where he's most dangerous when he's probing and then pulls up from his 15-foot elbow spot. But unlike those guys, I trust him a lot more spotting up. Like, you can see him working in different systems, spotting up from three. Not always the most accurate from there, but like you said, 39%. That's a really good percentage, but... I think the the key that we talked about before with him is it's kind of like this rote mechanical pull-up that he always went to. Like, he always tried to get to these particular spots to make them. And while he's deadly from them, I remember pulling up some some multi-year stretches of shooting from these ranges that are just off the charts. It's, it's sort of the same kinds of positions. And if you can keep him out of there, he's not always as deadly from other spots around the court. So all of these guys, uh, as we're sort of breaking ground here, this is my first time doing this. I mean, the next six, seven, eight guys, they could all go in any different order. I do want to compare. I wanted to start with Paul and compare to a few players that I'm going to mention now. But before we get to some other modern guys, let's just do my number 24, Jose Calderon. I mean, the guy, what, what did he make? 95 free throws, 110 free throws in a row once? How many free throws did he make? It, it was a lot. So in the season, I think he went 151 for 154 from, from the free throw line. Yeah, yeah. It was a heater from the free throw line. His best free throwing stretch is just under 90% uh, over five years where he takes at least 500 free throws, 2008 to 2013. And what really impressed me, Cody, is you got that free throw shooting. Also, like Chris Paul, 48% on his long mid-range jumpers, which is just completely on fire. And then, not quite the volume, but the dude's best three-point shooting stretch where he took at least 500 threes... Shot 46% from downtown, 45.5% from downtown. He is the, one of, if not the best, long mid-range shooters, according to the model that I'm... So we have the real data at 48%, but the model's like, you're slightly better. Based on this model, you look like, you know, that it's basically like saying, Jose, we think you might be the best long mid-range shooter by percentage that you're putting into this database. So a uh, totally different type of player, right, 
than Chris Paul, but someone who I think in his own right was was a ridiculously good outside shooter. And I think I'm scanning the rest of these players here that we're going to talk about. He feels like someone that could be higher if not for volume. Like vo- yep, volume yep. is the reason. So this is just a guy that in the in the attempts that he made, just unbelievable off the charts, probably very rare to actually touch those percentages, but just didn't shoot enough. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into the next two players and sort of what to do with them. I'm putting them at 23 and 24, respectively. Damian Lillard and Kyrie Irving, these guys are more a combination of volume and skill. Now, it's interesting, Kyrie's peak free throw percentage, just under 89%, 50% on his long mid-rangers, 39% from downtown on 10 three-point attempts per 100. So we're starting to get volume. We know from him it's off the dribble. It's pull up into pick and roll. It's at different angles. Um, he, Like I said, he takes more. Is he a better pure shooter volume aside than Damian Lillard? I don't know. Maybe. But the thing with Lillard, Lillard's 37%. But now we get into a volume monster, Cody. Over the last four years, Dame Lillard, 14 threes per 100 at 38.6%. So he's kind of leveled up, it seems, as a shooter later in his career in the last couple seasons. I did a video on him in 2020 about this, adding the range, adding the pull-up volume. He's only 45% on his long twos as sort of a peak guy there, but just under 90% from the free throw line. And, And to me, just sort of like wrangling what it means to be in the high 30s with that much volume as someone who's a pull-up guy, and for anyone over the last, whatever it is, eight, nine, 10 years since we have tracking data, camera data, uh, we have their wide open threes. And and the dude, I think, in the last three seasons is like 45% on wide open threes or something like that. We can we can pull that up on our board, uh, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. But like the combination of that, this, this idea that he's so good as a wide open shooter, has so much volume and that much diversity, it's like, what do I do with that? It feels like he needs to be higher than the names we've talked about. I didn't pull the stats on this, but I feel like the thing with Lillard, too, is he's one of these guys that shoots them from far away, right? Like, he's not necessarily towing the line when he shoots, but he's somebody that you can stretch you out multiple feet. Did that factor into your ranking at all here? Yep, a little bit. Um, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where once you get out to the three-point line, if you have a little more distance and it's functional, it's not just a gimmick, then I think that helps. With him, sometimes it's like the shot he hit against Paul George. Amazing shot. I don't care too much about that in this conversation. But the fact that he is comfortably and reliably hitting like whatever it is, like 39% of his pull-ups from 26 feet, 27 feet instead of 24 feet, that matters a little bit more to me. And I'm pulling it up, Cody. Last three years on our board, he's 46% on his wide open threes, which is in the 94th percentile in the league currently, regardless of volume. So uh, yeah, a guy in this conversation to me and just fascinated by what to do with his volume. It feels like he should be, I don't, I don't know. I can go either way on this entire group of players we're talking about, but a name that has to be here, I think, and a name that the volume compelled me to put him higher than the other guys we've mentioned. And I think mine, even me, Ben, I'm sitting here trying to be like, man, should both of these guys be higher? Like, are these guys actually better <laughs> shooters than this? But I think a, a key that's really hard, really hard to tease out and differentiate is the difference between scoring and shooting ability, right? And I'm I'm trying to, like, 
unbiased myself here and peel them apart so I can view them separately, but I'm having a really hard time doing that on the spot here. So, you know, I... Man, it, it's just it's just really tough because you think about these guys as, as scorers. Like basketball isn't a game of strictly shooting. There's so much other stuff going on, and it, it's just hard for me to separate it on the spot here. Yeah, I feel more passionate about the top 15 or so guys that we'll get to, but I wanted to start a little bit outside that range to have some of these discussions. I could go five, ten spots in a different direction with so many of these players we're talking about right now, and it's like, how do you compare the volume of the guys we just talked about to lower volume old time players. How, how, do, how do you do that? Um, we're going to get to a statistical thing in a second with a particular player from Golden State. But first, I want to throw out the 80s, 90s names. Okay. This is Dale Ellis, Steve Kerr, Jeff Hornacek, Alan Houston. Uh, on my board in front of me, I've got Ellis at 20, Kerr at 19, Hornacek at 18, Allen Houston at 17. Most of these guys touched the inflated three-point era. So I was really focusing on what, what happens in the inflated three-point era to your long twos, meaning now you no longer have 22 to 24-foot two-pointers. All your long twos are 15 to 22 feet. And then we get a different sample of your threes because your threes are 22 feet and out instead of 24 feet and out. Uh, Kerr, of course, has this like three-year stretch with the short line where he shoots 50%. You didn't, you didn't mishear that. He shot 50%, 50% from the three-point line, won the three-point contest. Most of these guys won the three-point contest, by the way. And I, I do have to say, Cody, that was like 1% of my criteria in my head because I'm just like, oh, it's another kind of sample of them like shooting outside shots under this situation where they have to like run around in a contest. Um, not not completely insignificant, but also just like a little a little sprinkle of the ingredient for me. So Kerr only, quote unquote, only 86% from the free throw line at his peak. And I did pull it from 1990 to 1995. He shot 44% from the regular line, which you're like, wait a second, Ben, you were just talking about Kyrie at 39% and Lillard at 39%. Isn't that much better? Ah, but the volume. So it's like, even though he played in the early 90s, by the early 90s, I still wanted a little bit more volume. He only took 431 threes over that six-year period. Uh, and in the playoffs, I also looked at playoff data as well. We have smaller samples there, but again, a sample where maybe you're under a little bit more duress. Maybe you play better defenses. What does that say about getting into your shot? Only took 113 three-pointers in the playoffs in his whole career at 37%. So this is this is the kind of shooter we're talking about. You better be better than him if you want to be one of the 20, 15 or 20 best shooters ever. So the one thing I'm thinking of right now, and it's kind of going back to the to the point I just made. But we have some of these guys, and I'm not saying that's the only thing they did, right? I'm not saying they only stood in the corner. But guys like Steve Kerr, you know, Houston, Del Curry, these guys were like shooting specialists, right? Like they were on the court to shoot. That was the main reason. Whereas guys like Lillard and Kyrie can be more of like load monsters, right? They're not like Trey Young, Luka load monsters, but they're still doing a lot more. Did you think at all about like a like a hypothetical role switch where it's like, all right, well, what if Kyrie Irving just did what Steve Kerr did? Like, what if he just stood there and shot? Could he could he have shot as well or better than him? Did you think in that term at all? Something, maybe not that explicit, but something like that where I'm thinking about, you know, different spots on the court, 
Um, and if the diet of shots is different, because Kerr, by having lower volume and being a role player, is having a different diet of shots than Lillard. So that's where there's some equating taking place where it's like, yeah, if you think you want to have Lillard five spots higher and Kerr five spots lower, that that's fine with me. I don't I don't know. We're just breaking ground here and trying to get the shape of this thing for people because I, I haven't really you know seen anyone go in at this this level of detail. Did I say Del Curry earlier? Did I skip over him when I was... The, these guys from this era, Del Curry, Dale Ellis, Steve Kerr, Jeff Hornacek, Alan Houston is a little bit later. The one thing about these guys that I think is impressive is the release on... Like Kerr going left or right, quick release. So he's short, but he's got that quick snappy release and he can do it off the dribble. He just needs a little bit of space. Del Curry, ridiculously quick release. Um... Jeff Hornacek and Allen Houston, more scorers, more overall better players. Hornacek, a really good offensive player, and they can get into it. Houston had a had a style of shooting that was like jumping, and I think Houston was tricky for me because he was a guy that starts to taper off when you get to like 22, 23, 24 feet. So he had some monster three-point shooting numbers when the line was brought in, and then the three-point shooting numbers kind of go back to normal when the line is brought out, but what a long, you know, what a mid-range and long two kind of shooter. Both these guys, 90%, Hornacek and Houston, 90% from the line. Both look really good when you look at all the relative to era stats. Like I said, Houston's a little later, so I give Hornacek a little more credit there. But I, I, you could move all these guys around. I don't know what to do. This is like a whole group of guys from the 90s. I don't know what to do with them. And before before you jump in, Dale Ellis Dale Ellis is from the 80s. Dale Ellis, in the late 80s, was taking six threes per 100 at 41% from downtown, Cody. Six threes per 100, his best three-year stretch as a three-point shooter. 43%. This man this man is a groundbreaker. And if you're wondering why I don't have him higher, it's because I just can't get past the fact that he peaked as an 80% free throw shooter. And that is just the weirdest indicator, this board of 90 and 92% free throw shooters that we're about to hit. Uh, I'm just like, Dale, I, I I can't, I can't, I don't know what to do with you. You only shot 80% from the line. I was going to say, I'm looking at everyone else. I'm pretty sure he has the lowest, like pretty, by a pretty substantial mm-hmm. margin, like five, six percentage points lower than yep. anyone else. Yep, absolutely. Now, the thing I want to ask about Houston, because I think Houston is really interesting here, but you know, we've talked about it before. I think he had more of a long mid-range diet. So how do you like, how do you balance these things? Because we're talking pure shooting. Like if you're spotting up from three, I'm probably going to trust Steve Kerr more. I'm probably going to trust Del Curry more. But when you bring in like the whole package, like how do you factor in like the the long mid-range game he had versus the, the three-point diet of these other guys? Well, this to me is the Dirk Nowitzki question, right? Mm-hmm. What What to do with Dirk Nowitzki? What to do with someone like, Kevin Durant, uh, I will say, I will jump ahead. Excuse me, I'll jump ahead. I have Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant, 13th and 14th. I don't know quite how to answer this question, but let me talk through the process. Dirk took three threes per 100 at his peak, and he made them at 41%, but I don't, I don't think people quite realize that he was a really good outside shooter from 2002 to 2011. He made 40% of his threes over a decade, but he just never took that many. Even in, even in the playoffs, he peaked at three and a half threes per 100 possessions. 
And then the long two, we know one of the all-time great long two-point shooters, 51% over a multi-year stretch on high, high volume. This is one of those guys that when you look it up in the old days, you're like, what do you mean you took 800 jumpers from 18 feet in a season? What? Why didn't you go to the basket? Why didn't you take more threes? Just an amazing mid-range shooter. So I look at him as someone, especially when you watch him play, who couldn't get into the three quite as well. His spot-up and open threes were probably very good, but judging by the fact that he had low volume and made 40%, I actually expect for the shooters ahead of him that that number would be a little bit higher. So it was like one of those things where he's still very, very, very good. He might be an A-minus from downtown, but the guys in front of him are an A-plus from downtown, and so his A-plus from mid-range doesn't outweigh someone else's A or A-minus from mid-range. That was my thinking. And, you know, the other thing with guys like Dirk and and Kevin Durant, not to like jump so far ahead of them, but I really do think that they're probably the two most interesting players on this entire list. We could make this entire episode about these two is this is what I was talking about before. They it doesn't matter if you guard them. Right. Like if you're talking pure spot up ability, they probably don't necessarily compete. Again, Steve Kerr, Del Curry. Dale Ellis. You might want those guys spotting up more, but if you have someone in their face, if you have someone contesting them in your grill, I don't know if there's anyone I would pick above those two. Like, it feels like I need somebody to make a contested jump shot. I need somebody to shoot with a defense in front of them. They might be my two first picks of all time, right? There's someone that's maybe in the top three that's that's can be brought up here too, but I, I don't know. I... I don't know how to handle like the contested shooting aspect of this because, you know, you're talking about value on the court for basketball. And in my mind, I'm like, man, we're still playing the game of basketball. And if you can just ignore defenses, that's super valuable. So that's that's one of my sticking points with these two guys. Well, I do think if you had most people make this list, even after listening to this show, they're not going to be as enticed by the role players and the actual shooting skill of some of the role players that are coming up. And then the era thing is still very hard for people. It's that Michael Cooper thing. They just, some of the players ahead of these guys, I think people are going to just summarily kick out based on the idea that they're like, what? I don't even know who that is. What? Forget that guy. Yeah. Um, we'll, get to the, we'll get to them in a second. But the reason I'm saying this is to say, if you make a list and you've got like Dirk Nowitzki and Kevin Durant in your top like eight or 10 shooters of all time, I'm probably not going to really argue that much with you. I think these guys are that good. And all of the players in this range that we're talking about are in the discussion for greatest shooters ever. Um, Of course, there's one guy at the top that maybe means we're all racing for second place. But, you know, we know that we we, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Are you you talking about Jeremy Sohan switching to one handed free throws? Did that fall to number one? Cody, I don't. Why do you have to? Why do you have to do this and break the four? You know, I was talking about Dennis Rodman. Let's let's get back. Aren't um, they the same person? Now it gets fun. Now it gets really fun because because this is the guy I wanted to talk about the most. Well, there's a couple guys at the top that I'm most excited to talk about, but this guy's really interesting to me. He always comes up as like the second best shooter of all time, the third best shooter of all time. And I think he's really interesting to talk about for two reasons. One, his statistics aren't nearly as good as the players ahead of him. And two, the statistics that are as good as the players ahead of him on this list probably are influenced by where he plays. And we are talking about none other than, what do they like to call him? Big Smokey? Clay Clay Thompson 
from the Warriors. So if we look at free throw shooter, we we're just talking about Dale Ellis. All these guys, 80, 88, 89, 90%. When we get to the top and the guys I consider the greatest shooters ever, we're going to be 91, 92, 93% from the line. That skill matters to me. It kind of has a, is a reflection of hand-eye coordination with controlling the, the ballistic movement of the shot as you flick it off your wrist. Clay Thompson's uh, best, his best free-throw shooting stretch of his career is 86.5%. That's his best free-throw shooting stretch of his career. He does have nice volume, like 10 threes per 100. But again, he's playing in an era where more guys are 8, 10, 12 threes per 100. And so you say, okay, what's what's his three-point percentage? Best three-year three-point percentage, 43%. Fantastic. S- stacks up well with the top 10 guys we're going to get to, 43%. What does that number look like over a long period when Steph Curry's on the bench? From 2015 to 2019, he took over 1,000 threes with Steph on the bench. He made 38% of them. Mm. So we know Clay Thompson's a great shooter. Another thing I considered was how quickly he gets his shot off, how he can just kind of wheel and turn into it. And Cody, your thing, uses height like some of the guys we were just mentioning. I think all of that is great. Um, as a spot-up shooter, as a movement shooter, I think he's got to be up here near the very top of this conversation. But I struggled to place him ahead of the guys that we'll get to in a second because of those, because of the free-throw shooting and because everyone's shot diet is a little different. And I think Clay's shot diet is special getting to play with Steph Curry. And he would still be... Right? In other words, if he didn't play with Steph Curry... He would be one of these guys that I have up here in the top 15, and people would be like, I don't know, Clay does not belong up there in the top 15. But when you play with Steph Curry, then people say, well, maybe you're underrating him by not having him in the top five. Um, we're going to get to the top five, and hopefully it'll be clear why I have those guys ahead of him. But he's a fascinating case to me because of this sort of statistical uh, phenomenon of his shot diet being so unique. The the off numbers with, with Steph Curry, those are really interesting. I didn't... I didn't know that. And it's tough because like, yeah, we should use all of the data that's available to us. But then it's like, well, are we as rigorously going in and finding this granular data for everyone? But it's like, well, that doesn't exist for most of the people on this list. So that that's always tough. I'm not against it. Like that's I, I didn't know that. I think that's really interesting. But I think the other effect that helps clay in people's minds is the supernova effect. Like if we were ranking like who are the three-point shooters who don't want to get hot, he's like 1A, right? Like he's the guy that's like, oh, he's made three in a row. We're screwed. He's going for 37 this quarter, right? And I think that's that's obviously special, but, you know, we're not talking about hot shooting streaks. Hey, if you want to have hot shooting in your criteria and and the sort of nuclear effect – more power to you. I think if I were incorporating that, he would definitely be higher here. But again, that's also more of a three-point specific thing, I think, where it's like, yeah, we know when he's hot, he can make him from the elbow and anywhere on the court. But I think people think of that nuclear explosion as 30 points in a quarter because he makes six threes in a quarter versus another dude near the top of the list when he got hot um, he, he scored 60 points in a game without taking many threes. We'll, we'll get to him in a second. So, okay, where where are we? We've mentioned Clay Thompson. We've mentioned Kevin Durant. We've mentioned Dirk Nowitzki. Let me throw one more name before I get to some movement shooters. Peja Stojakovic. I was not sure what to do with him. I have him 15th sandwiched in here. No idea what to do with these guys. Uh, Peja. 
91% from the free throw line at his best volume three-year stretch. Now, his long two-point shooting data is a little worse, 44% on my board over multi-year stretch. But part of that was like, you're playing in 2004, in 2003. These are your best seasons. The league average, like it's not very good. In other words, when you look at his shooting data relative to league average, the things I was trying to model over the summer, he actually looks better than someone like Clay Thompson. He actually looks better than someone like you know, Kevin Durant, uh, somehow that's how good shooting is now. Shooting, shooting is so good now that Kevin Durant's like 56% this year. It came up right before we recorded shooting, shooting Kevin Durant, shooting 56% from the mid range this year. And he's 5% behind Nikola Jokic for the league lead. Jokic is at 61%. Anyway, um, that includes shorter mid range shots as well. Not just absurd. Not. Yeah. That's it's, it's just, it's just crazy. Anyway, Peja, um, 43% from downtown, 2004 to 2008. The dude took nine threes per 100. Got in the playoffs, made them at 39%, smaller sample. Cody, I was really compelled by an early 2000s player taking nine threes per 100, making them at 43%, shooting 91% from the free throw line, being a very good long mid-range shooter, and of course, having watched Peja Stojakovic play many games, the dude can do it off the dribble, and he can do it in catch and shoot, and he can do it all over the court. I just think we are now getting to the place here on out. What like Peja is the gatekeeper here on out. You have to be better than Peja Stojakovic as a nuclear bonkers shooter all over the floor when you have the ball. I remember, and this is a single year thing. I don't remember if it was 03 or 04. I remember plotting out like the number of three point attempts, number of three point makes. And one of those seasons, he's like near outlier up here. Like this is a guy that like, you know, you go back and look at some of these numbers and they look as impressive. But in the age of Ray Allen and some of these other guys, like Pager was right there. He's, he's. Hey, spoilers, spoilers. What, we're talking about Ray Allen today? That, that's a shock. I feel like Pager though, this is off the top of my head though. What were his postseason numbers? I feel like I remember a it couple wasn't of them. As good, right? Yeah, I thought they yeah. they trailed off a bit. Thirty thirty nine percent was his best multi year stretch, and then I think with the Kings, uh, I think one year brings his average down off the top of my head. The challenge with the postseason is I want to look at it to have a little bit more of a sample and maybe have it slight. It's again that shot diet thing. Like, what does it look like if the shot diet is a little bit different? But also the sample's really small. So sometimes we fixate on like 200 three-point attempts in the playoffs and we say, this guy wasn't a good three-point shooter in the playoffs, but, but that's actually just noise probably. It's just, it's hard to trust a sample that small. Okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just shooting gods from here on out. Someone who I think is probably a little underrated. Someone who has a, someone who has a great podcast. Did you put yourself in the same list here? Are you are you are you like number nine? I, I've never seen your game, so I can't vouch for this either way. But okay, let's talk about it. It's all it's my game is very similar to this next player. Like uh, it actually bothered me because uh, because when I was younger, I really disliked Duke, mm-hmm. and it really bothered me how similar my game was to this player, JJ Redick. Ninety percent from the line at his best over a multi-year stretch with at least 750 free throws. We're trying to look at volume here to get an indicator. 90% from the line, 50% on his long mid-rangers. We know he's making these, running around and catching the ball all over the court. Doesn't matter where he is. He's got to come off floppy. He's got to come off a pin down. He's got to curl. 
he can take a dribble or two, get into it, go into his right, go into his left. Forty-five <sighs> percent from downtown. That's his multi-year peak. Nine three-point attempts per one hundred. Played in a little bit earlier era, so kind of touched where we are now. But you know, nine is still pretty good volume. Forty-five percent on long two uh, on on threes. Excuse me, on a ton of threes. ridiculously good shooter (laughs) i I think that sound really really captures the essence of it and i think i mean i think Embiid has even talked about just loving playing next to him because of the spacing concerns that he he causes for the other team and you know one of those other guys that's you know super into his his physical fitness we talked about endurance a lot i think at the last episode this is a guy that really worked on that and i think that opened up a lot of these attempts for him being able to i just remember like he he would take some of these shots and he's really not set. Like, he's drifting, like, really far to the right while he's taking it. It's like, oh, my God. Like, I guess I guess when you're, like, shorter, don't necessarily have the arm span. That's the kind of stuff that you have to hit. And clearly from these percentages, he hit him at a good enough rate. Yeah, there are better shooters coming somehow. Um, the next guy on my list, and again, you could move these guys back behind the players we just talked about. You can move them up a little bit, maybe pushing into the top five, depending on your criteria. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Kyle Korver, Kyle Korver, 10 three-point attempts per 100, 47% from the three-pointer shot, Cody. Kyle Korver running around the court for the Atlanta Hawks, for the Cleveland Cavs, I mean, whoever he did it with, it doesn't matter. Now, (laughs) the guy, he was a slouch from the free-throw line, only 89% from the free-throw line over a 10-year period because he never got to the free-throw line, so I needed to look at a 10-year period (laughs) to get 1,000 free-throw attempts. In the playoffs, also over 40% on 10 threes a game. Even later in his career, that's a 10-year sample we looked at as well. Uh, 48% on long twos. And if you watch them, you know, if you watch that Hawks offense with the the first place Hawks team, Mike Budenholzer's team, was that 2015, where he's just running around constantly. He'll make them from three. He'll make them from long two. He'll make them going sideways. He'll make them, he'll make them and order popcorn from the, you know, vendor in the front row. It doesn't matter. Kyle Korver, one of the best shooters I've ever seen. It must have been 2015 or something like that. I don't know if you know if you remember this stretcher game, but I remember he drops 11 points in a minute against the Milwaukee Bucks. Drops 11 points in a minute. And we're talking like just sprints down the court and just fires it up. This is one of those guys that when he catches the ball behind the line, it's you're, you're, you're terrified. You're terrified. Okay, so for a lot of people, I think the names we just mentioned will be number five, number seven, number nine, even after hearing this podcast. But as I said, relative to era is a big deal. Volume is a big deal. Diversity is a big deal. The next four players I just ended up putting together because I don't know, maybe we should move them up a little. Maybe we should move them back 20 spots. It's the kind of players that I think the audience doesn't like. But we have to we have to acknowledge their existence. Uh, well, doesn't like some, pe- some people have never even they don't like it when their favorite player isn't like they need a high number next to their favorite player. They need Durant to be like sixth instead of twelfth. Wait, you're saying this next is. player isn't somebody's favorite player? Yes, no, I'm saying the next four players are not on. They're not posters on everyone's wall. Um, one of them is actually kind of like an NBA villain now as as an executive. So okay, Craig Hodges, Seth Curry. Dana Barros, that's right, Dana Barros, and Danny Ainge. Yes, Danny Ainge. So we will we will go through really quickly, one by one, why these guys are here, how ridiculous this is. First of all, 
I said the three-point contest weighed into my head 1%. <laughs> I was wondering. Um, if you've never seen Craig Hodges make 19 in a row or whatever it is, 22 in a row, that is still the most ridiculous shooting display I have ever seen in my life outside of like a live game, you know, Clay Thompson for 37 or whatever. That That is just ridiculous. It's the 1990 or 91, right around then, three-point shooting competition. You can probably find it on YouTube. Hodges sets the record for most balls and most consecutive shots made. And he won, I think he won multiple three-point shooting contests. He's a great shooting coach. Uh, again, though, only 87% from the line. But late, you know, Milwaukee Bucks, Cody, we're right back in your wheelhouse. Late 80s, very early 90s. This is a dude taking six threes per 100, making 43% of them. The diversity and the shot diet, you know, maybe you could push him down. But the fact that he's at six threes per 100 or 43% in the late 80s is, is, is insane. It is absolutely insane. That is sort of like, if you look at the era equivalency attempts I have on the board, he's tied for first with another guy we're going to get to. This It feels like the equivalent of like 12 threes at 45% today. That's sort of how I, I see it in my head. I think with a lot with all of these rankings, but especially with some players that people disagree with, the composite score, not that we're like actually putting out a score right now, but you are putting them in some kind of a ranking order. I think what people have to realize is you have all of these levers that are going into picking these things, right? And like you just mentioned, he's not somebody that has a diverse shooting diet, okay? He's not creating off the bounce. He's not hitting a bunch of pull-up jumpers from mid-range or whatever else. But it's a pure catch-up shooter, a catch-up, catch-and-shoot shooter. As a pure mustard shooter. Mustard shooter, as, yeah. as, as a pure sriracha shooter, right? Craig Hodges is an absolute killer. But... You know, when we're talking about Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard or people like that, Kevin Durant, Dirk Nowitzki, he's not able to do those sorts of things. But still, when we're talking relative to era, that sort of lever is pulled up a little bit for you, right? Like that part of the percentage is is going into the final composite score a little bit more. So if, if you're listening and disagreeing, think about where your levers are. Like what percentage of like relative to era do you care about? What percentage of shot diet do you care about? What percentage of, of in-your-bag pull-up jumpers are you caring about? And I think, you know, that's probably the thing that catches people off guard because when you talk about it relative to era, Craig Hodges very clearly fits into here. And, let, you know, while I'm ranting here, but let me get to another rant. Let me get to another rant because you said that the only stable shooting thing that we have across all of the NBA is free throw percentage. We had another one that was stable across generations until the NBA started adding all of these dumb 17-point balls in the three-point contest. That was a clear indicator that we could use from generation to generation and now we have the mountain dew ball we have the four point shooting ball over here we have the whatever other balls are out here that are worth points and it, it ruins the whole thing it ruins the gambit it ruins it it ruins it well hold hold on it doesn't ruin it because you can still look at makes you can still look at makes and hodges has the highest percentage of makes and i actually think of hodges back then because he is less diverse but i think he has a corollary, a, co- a, a corollary, a, cor- a correlate. He has a correlate, a correlate sure. today. Yes, he has, he has a correlate today. <laughs> Seth, Seth Curry. Mm-hmm. Seth Curry is like modern day Craig Hodges, maybe. Seth Curry's ca- career, free three-point percentage, his career three-point percentage is 44%. Now he's only 86% from the line, but that 44% comes on about eight to nine threes per 100 He's 51% 
on his long two-point shots over the last four seasons. And we have his wide open threes for 49% <laughs> on his wide open threes, which is right where his brother was at his peak. So like Seth Curry to me doesn't quite have the diversity and the volume of the players ahead of him. But if we're talking about pure shooting, it was like in my head, I'm like, okay, you have Redick and you have Seth Curry. Who is a better shooter? It's really close, but the indicators keep kind of maybe pushing towards Seth. And I think Craig Hodges is is sort of like a 1989 version of Seth Curry. And then two more names in here, Danny Ainge and Dana Barrows. Same thing. Um, Danny Ainge in the 80s, like his numbers for the 80s don't even make sense to me where, where like no one is shooting three-pointers. He's 88% from the line, multi-year. And then from 1987 to 1990, he takes about 1,000 and he makes them at 41%. Six to seven threes per 100, 40% accuracy in the playoffs. He continues to shoot really well in the early 90s when he's traded to finalist Portland and then Phoenix. Um, he's just a ridiculously good outside shooter. And when adjusting for era, that's probably the hardest part. Is like, do you adjust for era and have a guy like that number 20 on your list behind some of the heavy hitters that we talked about? Or do you have him ahead of the heavy hit? I, I don't know. I kind of split the difference and, and put him in here. But if you, if you told me we could slide them all down, I'd be totally fine with that. And Dana Barrows, who could do it off the dribble, he could get really hot. He could do it from three, long two, really like to do it going right versus going left. Good catch and shoot. Another 88% free throw shooter. He took seven threes per 100 when he came in and he made them at 43%. So we're talking about like, <laughs> you don't even need to era adjust that, right? <laughs> Just like 40, 42, 43% three-point shooting on good volume, near 90% free throw shooters. Uh, these, these guys were all I didn't know what to do with them. I just put them in a big group here, but they were all incredible. Yeah, I like the fact that they are grouped together because it does show a consistency with like the value among, valuing of like that sort of role, that sort of well, relative. We got to plan. We got to plan the conversations. So. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to cheat. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> a little bit. You know, I feel really bad for Seth Curry being what? What is he ranked? What is he ranked for you? This is number. Uh, he's in this group from like seven to ten, so it's number nine. He's at number nine. So imagine yeah. being the ninth best shooter of all time in a smart and you're not even the highest ranked member of your family what about dell yeah you're dell's, you're dell's third that's like i speaking as a very much not father like i feel like the point of fatherhood is like you want you want your children to to surpass you and do better so I, that's like a proud moment for him whereas seth is just like just give me this one thing dude just just one thing all right let's let's get to the best of the best this one I think requires less, less sort of uh, wrangling and, and painstaking balancing of criteria and details and things like that. We're left with only the heavy hitter. Maybe that's subconsciously Cody Wyatt. I didn't know what to do with those guys from the 80s and 90s, so I stuck them here as a divider. And like I said, if you want to have a Kyle Korver, a J.J. Reddit, even Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant, Peja, Clay Thompson, you want to have these guys in this top six or so discussion, that's fine with me. Uh, you're not going to hear much pushback, but I want to present why I landed pretty comfortably on who I feel are the top six shooters, at least in the last 40 years. We don't know what to do with the old timers. We can't, we can't parse them out. Uh, I'm going to go number six. This is where I feel like we need a drum roll because it's getting serious. It's getting serious. These guys, whew, 
All right. Number six, I went with Ray Allen. Mm. Okay. Just, just so everyone knows what we're talking about here. 92% from the line. 92% from the line. Uh, 48% on his long twos. 44% from three. That's his best stretch. 44% from three. And uh, in the playoffs, 41.5% from 1999 to 2011 on nine threes per 100. Nine threes per 100, Cody, in the playoffs at near 42% in the 2000s. To me, you know, you era translate that just a little bit to where we are today. You know Ray can get into it coming off screens, off of movement, off the dribble a little bit, long anywhere on the floor change the angle of his shot occasionally if he needs to that's another sort of robust hand-eye coordinator indicator that you're like oh a guy's about to hit your shot so let me just arc it just a little bit higher at at the buzzer swish ray allen and, and the guy the guy he's going up against that i just agonized over reggie miller um i have him five 92 from the line as well Long mid-range numbers, we don't have great long mid-range numbers in his career, so these usually come from later in his career. They're only 46%, but if you actually look at my model, this is where the model is really interesting. If you look at the model, it thinks Miller, relative to Miller himself, peaked as a long mid-range shooter before we have the actual play-by-play data. Like, for instance, his two-point field goal percentage, percentage was much higher in the mid nineties than it was when we have this data available in the late nineties and early two thousands. And so we have reason to believe that like, Oh yeah, he's also 48 to 50% on his long twos. He's 42% from downtown. His volume is very similar to what we just saw from Ray Allen at nine threes per 100, but he did it earlier in the playoffs in his best stretch in the playoffs. He's 41% on nine threes per 100. Like I said, 1990 to 1996, Reggie Miller shot 50%, 54% on his two-pointers, excuse me. So uh, this is just uh, flip a coin with these guys. Absolutely amazing. Is the main differentiator then the fact that just Reggie Miller did it at a time when when three-pointers were a little less? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was that was my tiebreaker. <laughs> that was my tiebreaker. I'm like, you just you just have to acknowledge that he started doing this in like the late '80s and really ramped up into it in the '90s when when no one was touching this volume. Um, yeah, two incredible shooters. I think what I appreciate about both of them is they don't necessarily have like a textbook jump shot. Like especially Reggie Miller, that's a pretty unorthodox looking jump shot, and like clearly it worked for him. But it's it's still weird to see it where it's like, wow, if you were if you'd grown up nowadays, some of that would have would have uh, been fixed mechanically. But who cares? I guess. No problem if you move move either of those guys up a couple spots. Um, one more guy before I get to my big, th- my goat candidates, my big three. I couldn't quite, like I said, if you want to move any of these guys up, that's fine. But I, I wasn't really agonizing over having this last player outside the. You know, I wasn't like maybe I should include him in the in the little goat candidate tier that I ended up landing on. Mark Price, mm-hmm. number four here on my board, just so everyone understands, Mark Price. <laughs> Uh, 93% from the free throw line, 90, 93% from the free throw line, multi-year stretch. Now Curry might have passed that. I did a, I did a piece 
for Patreons, patreon.com slash thinking basketball a couple years ago on best stretches. And I think price is 93 is the absolute gold standard of human shooting. But Curry was at 92.9 when I made that. And I'm not sure if he has, because usually later in your career, you get better. 93% from the line, 44% from three on six threes per 100 in the early 90s. And if you've never seen Mark Price play, hybrid, much like Darius Garland, catch and shoot, movement, and off the dribble, long mid-range, three, up and under, contort the body, doesn't matter. And Cody, is it me or did Mark Price have more swishes? <laughs> like, he didn't use the rim when he shot. He's just like, well, if it's going in, it's going to hit the center of the net. That's all I'm doing. One of the all-time great shooters. I, I don't care where you have him. Just make sure you have him in your top 10, please. This guy's off the charts. I think if I, if I were to make a list, a ranking of my favorite teams to watch of all time, that early 90s Cavs team is absolutely right there. And Mark Price, when you watch him, like we referenced Bill Sharman a little bit earlier, and we're just like, wow, this is jarring. We didn't see anything. I feel the same thing about Mark Price. Like there's times where just like, you know, we talk about currying people. Right where you're off ball and there's movement and like multiple defenders fly towards him. Mark Price was doing that. He was flying around the court. This wasn't all just self creation stuff, right? This is coming off off pin downs. This is coming off screens. This is uh, getting the ball, faking, passing, relocating, getting it, taking a dribble to the left, pulling up. He had it all, right? And uh, you know, if you have if you don't watch Mark Price, because I feel like he's the player of like this top six that a lot of people really haven't looked at too much. Go watch some Mark Price. He's pretty spectacular. It feels like currying should really be called millering. That, mm-hmm. That's, you know, no, no regrets. It's like it, sh- it should be millering. It should be named after no regrets. Yeah, that's just that doesn't come up. It's a Miller. It's, Reg- it's a Miller. Regging, regging. <laughs> you've been read. Yeah, you you've can been reggie regging. somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Someone got reggied. I like that. <laughs> yeah. OK. <laughs> All right. At number three, I, ha- I had to put Larry Bird at number three. I, I, I you would, you know, it was either it was either him or or the guy ahead of him. Larry Bird, only 92% from the line at his best. Now, he is he is one of the hardest to rank because of how early he is. And I actually think you can make a goat case for him, which is why he's in this little tier. Because he did it so early, three to four three-point attempts per 100 in the mid-80s at 41% from downtown. What is going on? How, how, how is this happening? Now, in the playoffs... Struggled a little bit more with the three-point shot against better defenses. Maybe he was older and injured and things like that. But I do think it speaks to the fact that he couldn't quite generate those threes as comfortably. But this feels like a guy that if he practiced the shot more and it was made more available, I mean, we go back to the three-point shooting contest, like was didn't even need to take off the warm-up jacket to walk away with these things back in the day. Um, the model that I built, again, that looks at looks at how tall you are and looks at your shooting percentages and tries to figure out how much you're near the basket and things. Long story short, it thinks Larry Bird is like one of the two or three best long two-point shooters based on those indicators of the last 40 years relative to the league, relative to the league as an outside shooter. He just seemed light years ahead of everyone. And so I think that gives him like a, a backdoor relative to the league goat case that feels feels a little weird because it was it's almost based on the league being so poor and then him being so great I think if you just did raw shooting you could have him a little bit lower behind some of the guys we talked about but for his era and the numbers that he put up 
absolutely amazing. And of course, he can make the shots falling sideways over his head, arcing it over the side of the backboard, double teamed, spot up from the corner, from the top. Just, just an incredible all-time shooter. I probably shouldn't go straight to the three-point contest, but did, did he have to? Did he have to complete the full rack to win it? Was that the situation? Did he have to make the full rack, final rack to win? And then he hold, he holds the form on the last one. I don't think it was the whole rack for some reason. I he needed to make the last couple. Okay. Because I think it I think it went like I think it went like needs this one one for the tie, and then the money ball. It didn't need to be worth two points, maybe. It was the money ball for the win, and then he holds the finger up in the air. You know, you walked into the locker room and asked them who was going for second place, <laughs> which is a fitting segue to this entire podcast, because this entire podcast, of course, is about who is going for second place, and the winner to me, as the greatest shooter ever, who's not named Steph Curry, is Steve Nash. Uh, that That's who I ended up going with. Again, if you want to have some other guys above Steve Nash... I don't feel too bad about it, but this is where we get into a territory of like, if you don't have Steve Nash in your top five shooters with the criteria we've talked about today, I don't know if I understand what's going on anymore because Steve Nash, 51% on his long twos, 92.1% from the free throw line. Cody, middle of the 2000s, Steve Nash took five to six threes per 100. And he made 46% of them, 45.6%. He shot 42% from downtown in the postseason. I think my only concern with Steve Nash Nash as a shooter is like, can he catch and shoot and movement shoot as well as he shoots off the dribble where he squares himself? Almost like a Steve Kerr release, like he needs to really get compact and square himself. But my word, this guy was an incredible shooter. And one of the things I said, this is a project multi years, many years in the making. I started thinking about this in 2012 at the Sloan MIT conference. Kirk Goldsberry published a paper on shot diversity and difficulty and accuracy. And he looked at all the players in the league over the last few seasons at that point in time, which included Ray Allen. It include, included Dirk Nowitzki. It included uh, Richard Lewis and things like that. And he looked at 1,284 different micro locations on the court where you could shoot from. And he looked at all those and he said, how many, how many of those areas do you average over one point per shot? Meaning either 33% from downtown or 50% from two. Number one in the league, number one, Steve Nash, 31% of all those locations. And Nash just uh, sort of in general looked like maybe the best shooter using that early visualizing shot location data uh, that was presented then. The guy's just one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen. I was glad you brought up the Steve Kerr comparison because when I think of of Nash and Kerr, that it's like the clearest indication of the shot pocket. Like there is no more pure shot pocket jump shot in the history of basketball. Like it is literally literally like a textbook what a jump shot is supposed to look like. And this this is one of those guys, and I know you've you've talked to um coach D'Antoni about it you've talked we've had conversations about it before that just do we wish that Nash would have shot more does D'Antoni wish Nash would have shot more does Nash wish he would have shot more and the answer is generally probably yeah he he probably should have been pulling even more yeah I mean for that era uh eight to nine threes per 100 instead of five to six I think his percentages still would have been ridiculously high 
We've laid out all these percentages. We've we've talked about relative to era. We've crescendoed up the mountain to the 92 and 93 percent free throw shooters. We've got the three point shooter shooting percentages off the charts. And I think it's time we just put in perspective Steph Curry because because Who? Steph Curry. I talked about it in his greatest peaks profile. He was at 50 percent, 50 percent on his open threes in the middle of the 2010s when he was on an absolute heater, winning MVPs and playing like maybe the greatest offensive weapon we've ever seen. But forget wide open or any any fancy stats like that. His peak multi-year three-point percentage is 45%. And wait for it, Cody, on 15 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. 45%. On 15 three-point attempts per 100 possessions, and he's such a good shooter that he's always near the league leaders in long twos, even without taking them. 48%, I think, using basketball reference, is his, is his best three-point shooting strategy. That actually might have stopped when I was doing the project a couple of years ago. It might even be better now. Um, like I said, recent, recent free throw attempts, if you look at the last couple seasons, he's like 92 93%. Maybe the only guy in the league right now that could set a kind of multi-year, get across that Mark Price 93% barrier, see if it's even possible. Truly just an incredible shooter. Again, if you made a relative to era argument, I think you can make it seem a little bit less like he's an outlier. But when you add everything up, when you add the diversity of shot, the three-point shooting, the free-throw shooting, the long two-point shooting, the three-point contest shooting, the practice shooting, the warm-up shooting, the shooting from the hallway, the shooting from half court, I think it's fair to say he's clearly the best shooter in NBA history. Yeah, I, I have nothing to add with that. I don't, I don't think this is groundbreaking content right now to, to put Curry number one. No, this is it. Everyone waited around to see who was going to be number one. That was uh, the conceit of the entire episode. Anything else you want to add on these guys that we didn't hit before we get out? Am here? I allowed to bring up people we didn't talk about today? Is there? There's people we didn't talk yeah. about today. <laughs> there, there were three. There were three people that I thought about in terms of some of the conversations that we were having. That I just I wanted to know where they would have ended up in in this conversation. Not obviously in the top twenty five, but in sort of what category they would. Okay, fire away. So like Rick Barry, for instance. Oh yeah, yeah, free throw monster. Yeah. Well, where would Rick Barry go? But he was a free throw monster because he shot underhanded. It's still, so that, it's still that's the tricky part. Yeah. So is that is that really the the differentiator that he didn't really extend too much yeah, on his shots and? Well, no, it's not robust shooting. I can't get an indicator from a shot. He's using a different technique than his normal shot, okay. so I can't make a judgment about his hand eye coordination from his from his brilliant, may I add, brilliant underhanded free throw shooting technique. And the irony is, of course, if he shot overhanded, he would have probably been a, a fantastic free throw shooter as well. And he was a good shooter. But uh, I think based on his field goal percentages, I don't think he would, you know, certainly not the top echelon guys we just talked about. Okay. Another guy, incredible movement shooter, but didn't always stretch out to the three-point line. But when he did, he made a lot of them. Ray Allen's contemporary. He, Rip, Rip Hamilton. What'd you do about Rip yeah, Hamilton? It was the range. It was the range for me. Okay. Just like focus, focusing on where Rip was. Uh, also, I just off the top of my head, I don't think his long two percentage is as good as some of the long two mid-range monsters mm. we, we talked about here. So yeah, yeah, great, great question. But Rip is another guy who uh, I think losing that uh, accuracy as you get out to like 22 to 25 feet sort of pushes him out of the group today okay and then the final player 
Um, not that I necessarily think they should have been here, but I think these are guys that people might be thinking of. I call Dirk an evolutionary version of him just because of uh, his mid-range mastery. I think he has a couple 50-point games purely off jump shots. Carmelo Anthony. I'm glad you brought him up. He was he was on my board as a candidate. Mm, okay. I think now, now he only peaks as like an 83.5% free throw shooter, and that to me is an indicator that unless I get some huge boost somewhere else, um, that, you know, your, your shooting skill isn't quite up to the part, up to the level that we talked about with these all time guys, but his shot diet, Cody, you know, we know that was difficult shot making. We know he wasn't taking these super easy, wide open shots still peaks as a 38% three point shooter on good volume uh, mid-range, like more like 45% versus the 48 to 50% club. If you use the basketball reference numbers, uh, the shot location and distance and things like that. So he was actually someone I looked at. I just don't think he has the the juice or the argument in enough ways to get him into the sort of upper echelon that that we discussed today. Okay. Yeah. Those are the, those are the last yeah. three guys that I was just thinking about that, again, I didn't think they would make the top 25, but I think they're interesting shooting cases. If you want to check out uh, some of the data that we talked about, we have in-season data that updates and we have have some historical data related to what we pulled today. Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. That, of course, is also just the best way to directly support this podcast and all endeavors Thinking Basketball, including our new channel. If you haven't seen it, our new channel, More Thinking Basketball, where our latest extra video is on Kevin Herter of the Kings. You know, we, we found ourselves over the years researching and, and scouting these videos, and then we would throw out more than we'd end up using. So we're trying to find ways to, uh, just like this podcast, right? Like two years ago, I, I built a shooting model, which took goodness knows how long. Uh, and now we're actually getting around to uh, making some content about it. Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. It, it was really fun for me to be able to go through and put all these guys side by side and realize that a lot of the, a lot of the general perceptions about the greatest shooters ever are probably pretty accurate, but there are some details to consider that actually make the conversation really hard. Some players' stats, uh, how do you do the, the, the one-to-one stat mapping that we talked about? You know, one thing I'll say with Clay, because Clay is always connected to guys like Ray Allen and Reggie Miller and players like that. Miller generated a lot of these numbers as like the focal point of the offense, whereas Clay gets to have a ton of extra wide open shots playing next to Curry. So those those are two extreme examples. Those two players are an extreme example of this effect. But it, we talked about it with Damian Lillard. You know, we talked about it with a role player like Steve Kerr. There's got to be some, to me, some sort of balancing force to kind of normalize or make it a little more um, even when you think about comparing the different shots of all these players. And that that was maybe the hardest part for me going through this exercise. That's it. Um, thanks, as always, for, for listening all the way through on this one. And wherever you are, I, of course, hope you're having a great day. <laughs>